We want to send greetings to our audience right across this great country, to the people watching right throughout this great land of the United States, people up into Canada. I want to send greetings to my friends to Two Hills in Canada. Went up there a few years ago. I just want to send all you good folks my greetings. I want to send greetings to our audience across Europe and down into Africa, and then also into Russia and into Ukraine. Our topic today is one of the greatest of all topics, what and where is heaven? This topic is going to warm your soul like nothing else that you've heard. A number of years ago, I was in the city of Melbourne in Australia conducting lectures in the great Dallas Brooks Auditorium. There was a very beautiful couple who came nightly to the meetings. There was a beautiful blonde lady with two dear little boys. And they sat in the same place, night after night, week after week, so you get to know people. And if they're missing, you notice that they're not there. And you, after a while, you get to know pretty much who is in the audience, at least the people who are close to you. And then there came a time and uh, she wasn't there. The husband would be there and sometimes the little boys. And then he came to me and he said, would you please come visit us in our home? I said, surely. Well, what's the problem? He said, my wife has got cancer. This girl had had beautiful long hair down her back. But when I went to see her, I'll never forget it. They ushered me into her bedroom, and there were the little boys, these dear, cute little guys. And there was their mother in bed. She had been on chemo, and she had no hair. And the chemo had not been successful. And uh, I sat down and talked to her. Her husband sat beside me, and I held her hand. And she said to me, I've come to so many of your meetings, but she said, somehow I'm afraid. I said, what are you afraid of? She said, I'm afraid. She said, I know I'm going to die. And she said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of not of dying, but what is beyond death? And she said, also, I'm worried about my little boys. She said, I wanted to see them as they grew up. And she said, um, I'm just afraid of the future, and I'm afraid of what, what's going to happen. And so I sat there that day, I'll never forget it, and I opened my Bible, and I read to her the beautiful texts of the Bible that tell us that there's a God who has prepared a heaven. And of a God who gave his own son to pay the price so that every person in this world at last could make it to heaven if he so chose to go there. And as I talked to her, I will never forget it, even though it's almost 20 years ago now, I will never forget it how the fear came out of her face and there came a beautiful peace in her face. And when I finished praying with her, she said, I'm ready to go. And she said, I know I'm going to see my little boys again, and I'm going to see my husband again. And she said, I believe I'm going to see you there too. She said, I'm not afraid anymore. I want to tell you today that when you understand this truth, you will never, never be afraid again. Those of you who've got your Bibles here today, and we encourage you to bring your Bibles to these meetings, I want you to come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. 
Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. And as you know, we have been giving out copies of the Bible for you to follow. And if we gave you a copy, then please turn to it now. And the page is 864. And I want to read you a text here that introduces the subject of what and where is heaven? The Bible says, and this is the great apostle Paul talking, he said, I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And so Paul says that he, and he's talking about himself, he says that he was caught up to the third heaven. So the Bible makes it very, very plain that there are three heavens, and we're going to talk about those heavens today, but particularly we're going to talk about the third heaven, which is the heaven of heavens. I want you to know today, if you believe in this wonderful place called heaven, you can go through just about anything that life can throw at you. Back in Australia, in an Australian hotel that they call a pub, there was a group of men, just a small group of men, talking together one evening, and the subject turned to their wives, and one man was apparently making some very, very extravagant claims. Because he said to his Australian mates, it doesn't matter what hour of the night I come home, I can be as drunk as anything. He said, I only have to tell my wife what I want to eat and she gets out of bed and she'll prepare me anything I want and she never complains. Now these other Australians found that a little hard to believe because they knew what they would get if they went home and said things like this. And so they were all a little tipsy, a little bit under the weather, and he said to them, well, you come on home and I'll prove it to you. Oh, they said, we couldn't dream of that. He, he said, I insist my honor is at stake. <laughs> and so they got a taxi and they piled into the taxi and soon they arrived at Bill's house. And Bill walked in, he was a big guy, and he shouted out, Mary, I'm home and I've got some friends with me and we're starving. Have you noticed drunks are always starving? <laughs> Usually for peanuts. <laughs> he said, we're starving. We're absolutely starving. She got out of bed and she came out and she said, Bill, what would you like? And so he gave his order what he wanted. And she went, had a dressing gown on. She went into the kitchen and she prepared all of those men a beautiful meal. And they sat down a little embarrassed and they ate the meal. And then the men just left. They were somewhat dazed and amazed by the attitude of this woman. They had never seen the like before. And when they were all gone, Bill was somewhat sobered up. And he sat at the kitchen table, which I think is the best table in any house. Don't you think? To sit at the kitchen table. You can have your expensive dining rooms, but give me any day a kitchen table. And so, he sat at the kitchen table and Mary sat at the other end and he said, Mary, I've got a question for you. Why do you do it? And she said, Bill, I will tell you why. She said, I want to make you as happy as I can. I want you to be just as happy as you can in this life because this is the only life you're going to know. She said, 
You've really got nothing to look forward to, so make the most of this, and I want to help you to make the most of it. She said, I don't really worry too much because I have the hope of heaven. And she said, even though this life is important to me, it's not that important because it's only a stepping stone to something greater and grander and more fulfilling. But she said, Bill, I'm sorry for you, really. I love you, but I'm sorry for you because this is the only life you'll ever know. If he hadn't been sober by then, he soon was. I know the story. This Christian wife in her testimony made such a powerful impression upon that drunken husband that he started to question his own lifestyle. And he said, if your religion can make you what you are, maybe you better tell me a little bit more about it because I've been too close-minded and too bigoted to listen to you. And over the next few weeks, she led him to Christ. And the day is going to come when not only is Mary going to be in the kingdom of God, not only is Mary going to be in heaven, but Bill is going to be there too. I want you folks to know today that if a person has this hope of this wonderful future, he can face life without fears, without without sorrows. No, 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 he will have sorrows, but he can face life without the hopelessness of those sorrows and he can have a guiding light and he can go on and he can conquer when other men would fall by the wayside. And I want to give you today the wonderful peace and the wonderful hope that I have discovered in knowing that there's a real heaven. Now the Bible says that there are three heavens. And Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1 makes it very plain that the first heaven is the atmospheric heaven. When the Bible says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, it is not talking about where the stars are. No, no, no. It is talking about the heaven that surrounds this earth like a swaddling cloth surrounds a little baby and keeps the baby warm. We have an atmosphere that only goes up a few miles, and the Bible talks about this first heaven and calls it the atmospheric heaven. And then the second heaven is the heaven where the stars are, which are described by David in Psalm 19, 1 to 4. And I would like you please to take your Bibles and notice Psalm 19, 1 to 4, because it is one of those wonderful, amazing, uplifting passages of the Bible. Psalm 19 and verses 1 to 4, where David just gets caught up in the ecstasy and the bigness of it all. And the pages 408, Psalm 19 and verses 1 down to 4. And David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. And then it goes on and it describes the power of the sun who goes forth like a mighty man as he goes around the universe. 
And so the Bible says that the heavens, the stellar heavens, remind us of the glory of God. And those of you who came to that great meeting on the stars will say with me today, it is true that there is a God and the greatness of this God is displayed in the heavens. The greatness of God is seen in the majesty of the stars. But there is a third heaven. The book of Nehemiah talks about the heaven of heavens. And the Bible calls it, we're going to see today, it calls it, and we're going to turn to this text, the Bible calls this paradise. I want you to come with me now to a text that talks about this. We're going to come back to the text that we started on. I want you to come here to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 2 and 4, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, we're going to notice verse 2, and then we're going to notice verse 4. We've already read verse 2, but we're going to read it again because it gives us the context, and a text without a context is a pretext. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, t- uh, chapter 12, verse 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And then you come down to verse 4. It tells us he was caught up to paradise. He was caught up to paradise. So the Bible says he was caught up to the third heaven, but the Bible says he was caught up into paradise. I just want you to think about this. I just want you to imagination to run a little bit wild today. I want you to think that the Bible talks about the first heaven that's around this earth, then it talks about the stellar heavens, and then it talks about a place that is called in the scriptures the heaven of heavens, and the Bible calls it paradise. And the Bible makes it very, very plain that this is where the very center of everything is. And this is where the throne of God is. This is the command center of the universe. And when Jesus Christ left this planet, he went to paradise. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came from a place that was called paradise. And the Bible says that Jesus went back to his father's house. But the Bible tells us that Jesus who went to his father's house and went to paradise is going to come again in power and great glory. And I want you to take your Bible now and come with me over here to John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 3. And this is one of those marvelous texts in the Bible, a text that gives you hope and gives you power and gives you a lot of joy to know that there's something wonderful about to happen. Uh, John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and the page number is 803, John 14 and verses 1 down to 3. And uh, the Bible says, Jesus is talking here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, my friend, that's paradise. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come back and take you to be with me where I am, that you may be with me. That's what he said. I'm going to come and take you to be with me where I am so that you can be with me forever. And so Jesus said, I want you never, never, never to minimize those words, my friend. Jesus said, 
I go to prepare a place for you. He went to paradise. He said, I'm going there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he said, I will come again. And the question that we need to ask today as we think about heaven is this. If Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us, what sort of place is Jesus preparing for his people? Would you like to know? You think of this, the man who came from outer space, the man who came from another world, the man who came from way out, the mighty son of God, the one who made the heavens, the one who made the stars. He said, after he had died on the cross, after he was resurrected, he said, I'm going to come back. He said, I'm going to come back. But he said, before I come back, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And today, I'm going to show you what the Bible talks about when it says that Jesus is preparing a place for us. I wonder today, what is this place going to be like? We don't need to wonder. I want you to come over here to Hebrews chapter 11. That's in the New Testament. And it starts to describe the glory and the wonder of that place. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. Hebrews 11 and verse 10. Page 894 in these copies of the Bibles that we've passed out. And these copies are the New International Version. And it's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. And it's talking about Abraham. It says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then I want you to come in the same chapter to verse 16, dear hearts and gentle people, verse 16. The Bible says, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. What does it say? For he has, please give me some. He has done what? He's prepared what? He's prepared a city. And the Bible talks about a country. I love the country. And the Bible says that Jesus has gone to paradise. He's gone to his father's house and he's there preparing a city for his people. And that city is going to be the capital of a great country. And you can be citizens of that country. I want you to know today that there is a mansion prepared for you in that city and has got your name on the door. But you've got to take possession of it. You've got to make the right decision so you can take possession of your mansion in the city of God. So the Bible says, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again. And then you turn to the book of Hebrews and the Bible tells us that there is a wonderful country. And the Bible says that God in that country is preparing a city for his people. I wonder, what is it going to be like? Is it going to be like New York? Were you scared of getting mugged? Is it going to be like Los Angeles in Glendale? Were you scared if you walk across the road that somebody's going to run over you? What's this city going to be like? 
the people in Los Angeles are people who are just wonderful people, but they're very, very skeptical. In fact, the people in Los Angeles are so skeptical that they won't breathe anything they can't see. <laughs> but it's not the smog capital of the world. I want to tell you, I've been to Seoul and Korea, and I tell you what, that makes Los Angeles look absolutely wonderful. It's not the worst city in the world. But the Bible tells me that God is preparing a city for his people and it's going to be a city which is free of crime and hate and racism and smog and sin. And I want to tell you once again, this city is filled with magnificent mansions and your name is written on the door. But it's up to you or not whether you take possession of it or not, you see. And we're going to tell you today how you can have that wonderful, wonderful city. Now, I just wonder, I'm doing a lot of wondering late, lately, but I'm just wondering today, what is this city like? The Bible gives us an amazing description of this city. Come over here to the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation chapter 21 and verse 15 and onwards. It describes this city. Now, I'm sure that this description is somewhat symbolic. I'm sure that God, when he described the city, he couldn't be too technical. He just had to give us an idea of this city because it's too great for a human mind to comprehend. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 15, the Bible says, Revelation 21 verse 15, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold. Everything's gold there. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. And then it goes on and says, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Now, I want to say this before I go any further. I think there are some mysteries here that you and I can't understand. I, I just don't know whether we can take all this literally because the book of Revelation is a book of symbols. But you know, the children of Israel had a temple. And in that temple they had a, a most holy place. And that was the place where Almighty God was manifested in the Shekinah glory. And it was a cube. And this city is the most magnificent holy place that the Hebrews could understand. And the Bible says that the city is, is 1,400 miles. That's what it says, because if you look in the margin, when it's talking about this 12,000 stadia, that's the equivalent of 1,400 uh, 1, miles, and the wall of the city is 200 feet thick and 200 feet high. I will recognize that there are some mysteries here, but this great city, my friend, is greater than any city in this world and is greater than the human mind can comprehend. You know why God says the city is so big? You think of it. 1,400 miles along each side. 1,000, maybe it is literal, 
I'm not going to be dogmatic. You know I'd never be dogmatic. 1,400 miles along each side is this city. It's a big city. It makes, you could take New York and just put it here and put Los Angeles here. You know why this city is so big? I can tell you why. Because God wants you to know there's room for you. There's room for you. You can never come along and say, hey, there's no room for me. Uh, I just wouldn't fit in there. There's no room for me. There's so many people in this world. God has made this city so there's room for every person. And there's room for you if you want to be there. And just remember, God's got a mansion for you there. I'd like a mansion. Let me see now. I'd like a mansion maybe over here on the north wall, which would look out over my country estate. That'll suit me nicely. Well, what about you? There's a city there, my friend, and there's room for you, and there's room for your family, and there's room for your neighbors, and there's room for every person. Something even more astounding is this. This city which Jesus is building, the Bible says he's the builder and the architect. They must be having fun. What's Jesus doing? Well, he's doing lots of things. But Jesus and his staff have been designing and they have been building a city. And the most astounding thing is that this tremendous space city, this tremendous space city is going to come down through the stellar heavens and is going to come down millions and millions of miles. It's going to come down right upon the earth. It's going to come down upon the earth. You won't want to be on the earth when that happens or else you'll get squashed. <laughs> One lecture I'm going to tell you that God's people are not going to be here when it comes down. But God's people will have been spending some time in paradise and they'll be riding in the city and riding the skies as it comes down. But I'll talk about this more later. Come over now to Revelation 21 and verse 10, dear hearts and gentle people. Revelation 21, verse 10, you're right there, so you don't have to turn it up. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And then if you come to Revelation 21 and verse 2, the Bible says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, or as the King James Version says, beautifully adorned for her husband. I find this a bit hard to comprehend that up there in paradise, out there beyond the Milky Way, that there is a great command center of the universe. And somewhere in this fantastic command center, there is a great spacecraft, a great spacecraft. 
thousands of miles around and at the right time it's going to sail through the skies and it's going to come down on this earth and as it comes it's going to be filled with the glory of God and the Bible says like a bride adorned for her husband and listen to this because this is the point when the city of God from paradise comes down and rests on this earth, then we will have heaven on earth. And God's people are going to inhabit planet earth, not the beautiful isle of somewhere. God's people are not going to spend eternity sitting on some rosy-tinted cloud strumming transparent harps. The Bible tells me that heaven is going to come to this earth, and when that happens, it's going to be wonderful. But it's not going to come down upon this earth in its polluted condition. The Bible says that before the city of the skies comes down and kisses the surface of planet Earth, God in his great power is going to clean up the mess and then he's going to make the world again. And this day is coming sooner than you and I think. Would you come over here to Revelation 21 verse 1? The Bible says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And then if you come over here to 2 Peter chapter 3, come over here to 2 Peter chapter 3, and here he describes the renovation process. 2 Peter chapter 3, he describes the last days. He describes what God is going to do to this earth. 2 Peter chapter 3, 904, 904, 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we're going to look at verse 10 and 13, please. The Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. That's the atmospheric heavens. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then you come to verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. My friend, this is almost too hard to believe, but the Bible tells me if I can get the right piece of chalk, the Bible tells me that this, this old world, which is filled with crime and tension and hate and all the rest of it, this old world that is called planet Earth is going to catch on fire, and that is what hell is all about about and the fire is going to consume the earth fire is still the best cleansing agent known to science and God is going to cleanse the earth and then almighty God out of the rubble and the ashes of the old world is going to make a new heaven and a new earth no more sin, no more crime, no more of those things that tear our hearts into a million pieces. Out of the rubble of the old, God makes it new and beautiful as it was in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He turns this earth into our garden. 
He turns it into an Eden from north to south, from east to west. And then when the earth has been renewed, then, my friend, the city of God comes down. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These are the words of Jesus. Let me say them again. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God's people are going to spend eternity, billions of years, upon this earth that has been renewed, recreated by the almighty power of the great God of the universe who loved us so much that he gave his only son for us. What a God he must be. What a big God. How big is your God? I want you to know this God is big enough to take care of you. And the question is, what will it be like in heaven on earth? What's it going to be like? Who would like to go there? What is it going to be like? The Bible says that the people who inherit that wonderful city and that magnificent countryside are not going to be, and I say, thank God. They're not going to be, I say, thank God. They're not going to be disembodied spirits. They're going to be real people who do real things. Let me prove it to you. Come over here to the book of Philippians. I want to show it to you. Philippians chapter 3, I think it is. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21. Some people wonder why we turn to the Bible so often, because that's our authority. You're not here today to listen to a man. You're here to listen to God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. You see, my citizenship is not in Australia. And I hope that your citizenship is, is not right here in America. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. And if we have the same citizenship, if we're all the same citizens, then we're all brothers, you see. Then you can't have any racism. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The Bible says that when we get there, we're going to get bodies exactly the same as Jesus had after he had been raised from the dead. Now, when Jesus went into the tomb, Jesus went as a real person. They drove nails through his hands and his feet. Jesus was a real person. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, he was a real person. I want you to come over here to Luke chapter 24 and verse 36 and onwards. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36 and onwards. Please turn to the passage. Luke chapter 24, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And the page number is... 787, 787 in these copies that we passed out. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36 and onwards. It describes Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. While they were still talking among themselves, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be unto you. But they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. When he'd said this, 
he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus was a real man and Jesus could eat fish. And Jesus, the Bible says, he said, I'm going to drink wine with you in the kingdom of God. How would a spirit get on eating fish? Where would it go? How would a spirit get on drinking wine? It would fall just straight through. But Jesus was a real person. He said to Thomas, feel my hands. He said, look at my side. Look at the nail prints. He was as real as you are, but he had a glorified body, a body that could never get sick, a body that could never die, a body that could do things that our bodies can't do. And people in heaven are going to have bodies like Christ. We're going to be real people. Isn't that wonderful? And the Bible says those bodies will never get sick and those bodies will never get tired and those brains will never get fatigued and people will never, never die. There'll be no partings and there'll be no goodbyes and there'll be no funerals. No, 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 no black armbands in that wonderful place. Would you come over here to Revelation 21, verse 4 and 5? Oh, I tell you, my friend, God put this here in his book so that you and I would yearn for that better land and make a preparation. Revelation 21, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words. Are trustworthy and true. And so I want you to know there is a heaven and it's for you. And as I've mentioned before, sometimes I have cynics who come to me and they say, What's all this talk about pie in the sky and the sweet by and by? Give us our pie now. But I say to those people, mankind has been trying to get us pie now for thousands of years. But that, uh, and even if you could make this land a land of square deals where everybody was honest, the gray hairs come and the wrinkles come and old age comes. And I ask you the question I say to the cynic who wants is pine now as you stand beside the open grave and lower into the tomb the dearest and the nearest on earth to you where is your pine now my friend, there'll be no peace. There'll be no peace in the valley. There'll be no reality. There'll be no fulfillment until Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. We will be real people. And I'm saying we because I'm assuming today that every person here will say yes to God. That's what I'm assuming. I'm saying we today because I'm assuming that every person in this great amphitheater will say yes to God we're going to be real people who do real things. You can read this in your own time in Isaiah chapter 65 in the Old Testament where it says, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall but not be remembered nor come into mind, and the Hebrew says, will not come upon the heart. 
If a person were to get into that glory land and a dear one should be missing a husband or a child, a father or a friend, the tears would come. But the Bible says God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There are going to be some tears. Yes, even in that blessed land, the tears will start, but God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and then he'll blot out the memory because it says the former things, the things that come upon the heart shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But we'll remember the good things. I'll remember you. I'll remember you. Those of you who came to these meetings will remember the good times, the loving times, those things will never be forgotten. I want you to know today this great reality that heaven is real. Isaiah chapter 65 says, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will not build and another inhabit for as the days of a tree are the days of my people and mine elect shall long enjoy their salvation it says they shall call upon me and i will answer them it talks about the line and the ox lying down together there'll be peace in the valley and when i say the valley i mean this world renewed and made glorious by the power of God. I was reading this morning when I got up to prepare this talk. I was reading about the prayer of Jesus in John 17. That's the real Lord's prayer, the prayer that our Lord prayed as he stood in the shadow of the cross. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Father, I pray that they also who believe on me will be with me where I am, for you loved me before the creation of the world. I thought to myself, before I was born, my God thought about me and he knew me. Before you were thought of, before you were born, your God knew everything about you and had already prepared a home for you with your name on the door. Our God has prayed that you will be there. He wants you there. And the good news is this, my dear friend, the entrance fee has been paid. You say it's free to go there? No, 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 it's not free. I didn't say it's free. The entrance fee has been paid, but it wasn't free. It costs the blood of the Son of God. Don't talk to me about this place being free. It costs the blood of the Son of God. It costs suffering. It costs agony. But it was paid because he loved you. And when he hung upon the cross and the crowd cried out, come down from the cross and we will believe in you. He could have. But he saw you and he thought of you. And he took hold of those cruel Roman nails 
And he hung on to those nails, and he hung on to those nails until his heart broke to give you the key that will open the door to your mansion. He paid the price. And today there may be folks here, I'm sure all of us, we say, we're just weak. We can't do it. We're not strong enough. We can't make it to that place. We stumble and we fall. You know the story, don't you, my American friends of Gettysburg? Some would say it was almost pretty much the climax of the American Civil War where North and South fought each other over the issue of slavery. That battle raged on for a long time. Brother against brother, family against family. The two opposing generals had been colleagues in a great cause before the rift came between North and South. The battle raged on and men were dying by the thousands. And finally the South made their final bid and they marched towards the North to bring down the North. This was really the last stand of the North, of the South against the North. And as they marched towards the North, the North poured in hell, but those strong Southerners with great courage in their cause marched on, but in the end their ranks were broken. When Lincoln heard it, he sent a message to the commanding general, now is your time to end this war and finish the bloodshed. There's been enough. Pursue the enemy, he said. Break his power. Now is your opportunity to finish the war. And then he finished it with the words, pursue, pursue, pursue. But the North couldn't pursue anybody. They'd fought to a standstill. And that night over Gettysburg, or Gettysburg, a pale moon looked down upon a scene of horror. The men were stacked high. Thousands, tens of thousands of corpses. Friend and foe mingled together, their blood mingling. And then something wonderful happened. There came an old Quaker farmer. They're the people who say these and thous. Just talk like the King James Version. This old Quaker farmer had a boy who'd fought in Gettysburg. And he carried a, lan a lantern. And as he crossed the field, he would hold up the lantern and look in the face of every soldier boy looking for his boy. And then he'd put down the lantern and he'd cup his hands and he'd cry out, he'd cry out, John Hartman, thy father seeketh thee. And then he would continue the pursuit with the lantern, looking in each face. John Hartman, thy father seeketh thee. One poor soldier boy pulled himself up on his elbows and said, Would to God that were my father seeking me. And then those soldiers, more dead than alive, took up the cry. North and south, they took up the cry. 
John Hartman, your father is here. Where are you, John? Your father is here. Your father is here. And the old Quaker farmer went on, John Hartman, thy father seeketh thee. And there in one part of the field where the fighting had been the worst, a young American soldier boy heard the voice of his father, more dead than alive he was, and cried out, Father, Father. The old man went over and put down the lantern and picked up the boy and carried him home. Your father is seeking you today. Across the battlefield there comes the Son of God holding high the lantern and he cries out with a breaking voice, Bill, Mary, Tom, Jane, thy father seeketh thee. And if you will lift up a hand to that God today, and just say, yes, God, he'll reach down and he'll pick you up. You say, I've got no power, but he has. He'll lift you up and he'll take you home to glory. And as he lifts you up, I would ask you today to look at the hands that lift you up. And you'll find that those hands are nail-pierced hands. And they were pierced to purchase your salvation. He loves you. There's a heaven. You have a mansion. Your name is on the door. What will you do with it, my friend? I ask you today, in the name of him who sent me to preach, to say, yes, God, take me today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes in the presence of God because God is here today. Can't you sense his presence? Can't you sense the presence of the Spirit of God today? Dear Father, we thank you that there's a heaven. We thank you that there's a God who paid the price. That his own son came down to the battlefield and fought the enemy. And in the fight, he died. But he died to purchase our salvation. But his death was the great victory because through his victory he slew the great adversary. We thank you today that we don't have to earn our way into this city, but the purchase price has been paid. Oh, it wasn't cheap. It cost the blood of the Son of God. We thank you today that across the battlefield where the bodies are lying thick, where people have been torn, there comes a man and he carries a lantern. 
And as we look at the hand that carries the lantern, we see that the hand has been torn by nails. And we hear the voice, and the voice says, Bill, or Mary, Tom, Susan, Jane, Javier, Shondor, Cindy, David, I've been searching and I found you. And today we're giving you permission to pick us up and take us home. And we just surrender our lives today into the hands that were nailed to the cross. We love you, God. We worship you. We thank you. By your grace, we will take possession of our mansion in the New Jerusalem. By your grace, we will see you in the kingdom. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears, but Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer, he knows my every care, and just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus, let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. And when you feel a little prayer will turn in, and you know a little fire is burning, you will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right.
Savior God to thee 